Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us about your wild conspiracy. It's on. It's now. It's here. The Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 949, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome to the program. I'm Andy. Happy New Week to you. It is August the 30th, a couple of days left in the month. Beautiful day outside. Sun is shining brightly. We'll be keeping an eye here on KDX on that fire, the Oak Grove fire all day long and be updating you. So stay tuned to KDXU for the latest in news. I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in. And I have a, a smart guy with me. You know, I like to bring smart guys in. I've got uh, uh, David Jones, Dr. David Jones. He's not an MD. He's a PhD, right, That's Dave? That's correct. And uh, he is with Intermountain Precision Genomics, which is a division of Intermountain Healthcare. He is the chief scientist. That's right. I'm that's pretty cool. I've never been chief of anything, I don't think, Dave. So <laughs> that's pretty groovy. Uh uh, tell us a little bit what uh, what well no, no, let's start before we get into genomics let's talk about you where are you from how did you end yeah. up here tell us about your family and everything well so i've been with intermountain Healthcare for two years mm-hmm. and in st george for those two years and i came here because of the opportunity uh to do this precision genomics which we'll hear about some more but prior mm-hmm. to that uh, I was a professor and researcher for many years at the University of Utah and uh, worked on uh, and studied colon cancer at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. Wow. And I also spent uh, six years at another cancer institute in Oklahoma City called the Stevenson Cancer Center um, and never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd end up as a scientist living in a place like St. George. But <laughs> sure enough, uh, the opportunity presented itself and I jumped at it and I've been here for two years uh, helping to, you know, sort of shape how we're doing uh, uh, precision genomics here in St. George at Intermountain Healthcare. Very cool. What, is a, what does a typical day, David, uh, consist of for you? You, you go in and, and put the lab coat on and start researching? or how Well, does that if, you, if you had, uh, you know, so I've been doing this for nearly 30 years, and okay. I would say that uh, if you had walked into my day uh, 25 years ago, you would, say, you would see me standing at a lab bench and... Um, uh, mixing things together and, and doing the kind of work that I talk about. But now my role is really sort of a overarching strategic management okay. role. And so I have lots of people, lots of scientists standing at lab benches who report up through me. Right. And uh, my role is really sort of set to set direction and vision for what we want to achieve uh, in our overall scientific plan. And I do stuff uh, you know, I do, I, my job is like this. I talk to people about what we do and try mm-hmm. to get them energized nice. and sell our vision both internally and ex- externally and uh, sort of am the face of what we're trying to do oftentimes in the community. I'm pretty fired up about it, and, and we'll talk again and more about it in, in just a minute. It, it strikes me, though, your career has kind of, David, been based around doing research, the, the pursuit of, of knowledge and trying to fix things. I like that because, there, you know, I mean, you said you were a professor a little bit, but probably nothing wrong with teaching, but probably while you were teaching, you're thinking, man, I wish I could be researching right now. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, I and you know, I've always been curious, and my mom predicted I would be a scientist because I used to spend all my time chasing minnows and, and looking at things under rocks while <laughs> all the other kids were doing other things. But... Mm. Um, yeah, most of my career, even at the as a professor, uh, I spent the majority of my time doing research. I did, did teach in, in uh, various uh, different classes and so on, but I would say 90% of my effort has been in 
uh, doing research. And, and uh, my expertise is really in the genetics of cancer and trying to understand who is genetically predisposed to getting cancer and are there uh, ways that we pass them on from mom and dad to kids and can we intervene and prevent that from happening. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I can't think of anyone I know who hasn't had cancer touch their lives in one negative way or another. And, and certainly an area that, uh, I mean, you're right there where, where I feel like where our, all our money should be spent is trying to get, get this thing fixed and solved and, and taken care of. I, I remember when I was in college, I remember taking, I don't even remember the class, some kind of health class. And uh, the, the professor made the statement and said, well, we spend all our money on the wrong end of, of healthcare. We spend all our money in treating symptoms and trying to fix stuff that's already happened when really all of our money or the bulk of our money should be spent trying to keep those things from happening in the first place. If we're ever going to fix the healthcare system, that's where it's going to come from. That's why I'm kind of excited about, uh, about what you do, David. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that analysis. And so, you know, I'll say a little bit about uh, what I've done. And so I, w- I was part of a team almost 25 years ago that discovered a gene that we know can cause colon cancer in hmm. people. And knowing that and knowing when people have that gene allows us to intervene by doing colonoscopies and other kinds of screening techniques. And mm-hmm. we know that if you do that, you can prevent people from getting colon cancer. And that is a lesson that is instructive for other types of diseases. And, and sure enough, I mean, um, you know, we make progress little by little. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that when people are sick with a disease, whether it's cancer or otherwise, the concept of preventing it is now sort of moot and we still have to treat them and it's still sure. important to them. And, and yes, uh, if you look at our the scientific enterprise nationally and where we invest money, uh, both the government and pharmaceutical companies, it's almost always in treating diseases that we get every day uh, and we show up in our doctor's office and we look for treatments for those. Oh, fix me, yeah. And uh, prevention, however, is on the horizon. And uh, prevention required a few key technologies and that's one of the things that we're taking advantage of uh, that will allow us to take single examples, like I mentioned, for colon cancer and apply it much more broadly throughout mm. our entire uh, sort of lifetime and through different uh, health spectrum that we encounter. So the, the first thing that I think a lot of people think of when you think of, uh, you know, heredity and genes and stuff is you guys are out there playing God changing genes and stuff. And, and that's not true, right? So we're not changing genes, but we do look at the, the, the panel of genes that people have. Mm-hmm. And how we differ from each other is helpful for understanding uh, when we're going to get disease and not. And so I sort of think of uh, the genetic makeup of a person as, as like reading a cookbook, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The cookbook is a recipe for how you um, make all those dishes. Well, your genetic makeup is the recipe for how you make a, a person. And uh, the genetic cookbook is not entirely the same. If you were to look at your genetics and my genetics, and when I say look at it, uh, you know, we have uh, uh, our, our, our DNA, and everybody has heard of that, is like a, a long chain. There's right. a sequence of, of uh, chemicals that are strung together like a long chain, and the, and the sequence of that long chain um, tells the tells us the instructions of how to be us. And so if you were to take 
your DNA chain and my DNA chain and line them up from one end to the other, and there's three billion links Ooh. in yours and mine, uh -huh. we would be virtually identical, almost the same at every single one of those links. But you can see, but just by looking at the two of us, we look different. Yeah, uh, We probably behave different. We probably have different problems health-wise. Sure. So the little bit of difference that exists between the two of us is important for who we are, how we function, how we're healthy, and how we're not healthy. And what we do is we look at how those changes happen, and that many times allow us, allows us to intervene. For example, we can say, okay, uh, this person needs to have a colonoscopy every year. Right. This person needs to only have it every five years. And that is taught to us by looking at that sequence. And no, we are not changing the DNA, but we are using that information to try to make good decisions about how to personalize uh, the health care of, of each person that we encounter. My, uh, my mother-in-law passed away from breast cancer. And of course, the, the first thing you think of is, okay, she's got three daughters, are they going to get it? Uh, you know, the, the, you're thinking about the odds are, well, maybe one of them probably gets it. Maybe, who knows, maybe all three of them are, are uh, predestined, predetermined to get it. But you guys, it's not just guesswork anymore that they're related. You can actually look at the gene sequence and say, this is going to happen, right? Yeah, so, well, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer that two ways. So, first of all, you know, colon cancer was the first example. Breast cancer was the next best example of a, of a genetically predicted disease with a, mm -hmm. with a gene called BRCA1 and BRCA2. And yes, we can determine who's at risk. And I'm going to, I'll make sure I, I want to make that clear, is that okay. if a mother has breast cancer and is carrying the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene and has passed that to her daughters or even her sons, mm -hmm. they have a risk of getting uh, breast cancer. And we can know that risk and we can follow and watch those people much more closely rather than waiting for it to get the disease. Now, an important point to make here is that just because you've inherited a, a gene that predisposes you to getting a disease mm -hmm. does not mean that you're guaranteed to get that disease. There's very few disease-causing genes where 100% of the people get it, hmm. right? So sometimes environmental factors that you're exposed to uh, help to reveal that. And sometimes it's just bad luck, all right, that, right. yes, you were predisposed, but the sequence of other events that needed to happen in order to develop it may or may not happen. Okay. The sooner we know that you're predisposed, the sooner that we can begin to screen for mm -hmm. early changes and therefore hopefully headed off before it ever happens. Is there a number, a percentage that you can give when, when they do get those genes? Have you figured out that number? So it's, it is, and for each disease it's different. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that is on the horizon, you know, 25 years ago when we discovered this colon cancer gene, it was easy to find because it was so common in some of the families that we studied, right. nearly 100%. That you could recognize very easily that it was being passed from mom and dad to the children and to the grandchildren. Um, Other diseases that free, so in that case, the frequency is 100%. All right, but that's unusual. There aren't right. very many diseases that look like that. They're easy for us to find because they are 100%. Um, other diseases, uh, we can't find families like we found for the colon cancer because it might only be at that 10% 
of the time do you end up getting the disease mm -hmm. and families aren't big enough to say that only 10 percent you might you might get nine children in a row in a big family that didn't get it and you'd right. never see that it was a familial uh, disease and so we can calculate that percentage for each and every disease, but it's a case-by-case -case basis, and it has to be studied uh, separately in each disease. Now, your specialty, obviously, you started off studying cancer. Is, is, does this apply to other diseases, muscular dystrophy or, or things like that? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it will impact, and it does impact nearly every health condition that we think about. Hmm. Uh, we started in cancer because, uh, well, one, a lot of a lot of money is spent to to study cancer, and so right. there was a lot of work being done on cancer, and uh, therefore that was one of the first places that this genetic evidence of disease was confirmed. Uh, but certainly high blood pressure, diabetes, hmm. uh, um, uh, mental health illnesses, um, they all have a genetic component to some extent. Really? Uh, and we will begin to unravel those and we'll be able to understand and predict who might be uh, at risk of having to deal with those kinds of health problems. So even something like a psychosis or a depression or, or something like that is going to show up? Yeah, almost certainly, and and we don't we don't know those genes now. We know know of some that hint that, but uh, I will say that the, our work to date in the last twenty five years was sort of revealing a tip of the iceberg, and we are now sort of poised in the next ten years to start to uh, you know dive down and seeing what's underneath the water, and finding many many more genes that are involved in almost every aspect of human health. I, I think a lot of people probably listening right now are going, oh, this sounds kind of like because they don't understand what you're doing exactly. It, it kind of sounds a little bit uh, magical or a little bit uh, mysterious or or whatever. Uh, is, is there a way for you as a scientist to kind of pull the curtain up and let people know this is this is real. This is what we're doing. This isn't uh, imagination or magic or superstition. This is science. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the analogy that I use about uh, the, the cookbook and reading the cookbook is the same as uh, the DNA. And so mm -hmm. the big technology that came uh, became available is that when you talk about looking at 300, 300, uh, 3 billion links of a chain, right. um, there was no technology 25 years ago where that was possible. No. Today, we have technology that allows us to take a sample of blood from people, we can isolate their DNA, and we can literally sequence or determine every single uh, link in the chain of their DNA. So you're not predicting and, the future at this point. It's not predicting. I mean, it's right. a measurement that we can do. We do it, uh, you know. Uh, the very first uh, genome that was sequenced uh, uh, by the entire uh, country of scientists uh, took nearly 15 years and almost wow. uh, you know, a billion dollars. But we can do it today, literally, uh, in just a few days and for uh, more like 200 to $300. And so Holy cow. the technology is there and, and, the, and we can uh, see for ourselves the sequence of DNA of each and every person that wants to have it done. Uh, and from that, we can learn about which genes that they have that are affecting their health and their and their well-being. And people see this in other contexts. So, for example, people might see on TV uh, 23andMe, 
which is a what a, what we consider sort of recreational genomics, where you mm-hmm. can send your DNA into a company and they'll right. tell you about your ancestors. Uh, Ancestry.com does mm-hmm. it as well. Uh, so those kinds of services, which tell you about, uh, you know, what where did your ancestors come from in Europe? Did they come from in Europe? What? Um, it's sort of the same thing, only we focused on issues of health and not issues of ancestry and other kind. But uh, the technologies and the sort of reality of being able to do it are the same. That's, that's really cool. I know uh, you've been in a room, somebody has an app, you know, one of those apps. And, oh, hey, we're seventh cousins twice removed or whatever. Right, same kind of right. deal. Huh? Yeah, that's right. That's the, right. the technology... Uh, you know, as computers get faster and better, uh, it, it strikes me that you said it takes a couple of days and, and relatively cheap. Uh, in 10 years, 15, 20 years, is it going to be, you know, a blood test in five minutes? Uh, yeah, we'll continue to, ma- to make it faster and, mm. and, and less expensive. And it's interesting that, you know, when I was first doing this, uh, the machine to sequence DNA was was as big as this room. And, it, uh. and, it, and, you, and you went in there and you wore... Uh, clean uniform. We now have sequencers that people can carry in their pocket. For example, wow. uh, on uh, uh, you know military can take it out into battlefields. We're not just sequencing human DNA; they can sequence it, use it to sequence DNA of of things in the environment that they're worried about. And so, um, it will all be uh, inexpensive and easy, uh, and we'll get better and better at doing it uh, in very near term. Was uh, getting some phone calls. We'll get those phone calls in just a minute. Was uh, is there? I can see some of the. Let me word this correctly. Some of the more zealous religious types saying, "Hey, wait a minute! You're messing with stuff we're not supposed to be messing with." Have you have you gotten any of that so far in your research, where people are going, eh, "Back off a little." Well, you know. So first of all, um, we 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 take very serious sort of the ethical implications of doing this. Sure. And um, knowing the genetic information is just as sensitive as any other piece of information in a person's health record. Um, You know, it it used to be the same about taking someone's blood pressure or measuring different uh, parameters of their blood. Uh, The genetic information is considered with the same level of ethics, respect, secrecy, privacy, confidentiality uh, as any other thing. Second, uh, people, uh, everything that we do is voluntary. All right, so people can volunteer to have their DNA sequenced or not, mm-hmm. uh, and they can volunteer to let us look at it or 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 not. And um, absolutely, there are there are certainly uh, some that view this as uh, sort of too intrusive in trying to understand. Sure. Uh, I think of it this way: is that you know we've been uh, measuring what I would call surrogate markers of genetics for as long as we can. So mm-hmm. when you go and you measure somebody's um, different different parts of their blood and blood tests that people get routinely and don't worry about very much, you know, those are a reflection of the genetic makeup of that person. And so it's not that we're doing something totally different. We're looking at the same things. We're just looking at them with a little more precision and a little more detail. And and I think probably worth repeating that you guys aren't changing the genetic makeup either. You're studying it and learning from it. That's right. I mean, the, the kinds of things that we want to know from genetic makeup is, uh, can we look at this person and prevent them from getting a disease to start with? Yeah. And then the other thing is that once they have a disease, can we best match them to the right therapy? 
right? Mm. So the way that people respond to therapy uh, is often uh, predicted by the genetic sort of specific genetic characteristic of their disease. And instead of just saying, we're going to try this drug and see if it works, we will know better. This is the one that is most likely to help you. And so we're going to give you this one rather than trying uh, others. And so, again, we never, we're not, we're not thinking and we can, don't have the technology to change it. Uh, we do have the capability to look and make good decisions about how to best take care of people based on their genetics. It's like like a little instruction sheet saying, "Hey, this didn't, this wouldn't work on this person, and this would." I, I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, Doctor David Jones, uh, we've got a call. You okay to take a call? Sure. Too? All right. Hey, uh, thanks for calling into the program. You're with Andy and with Doctor Jones. What's up? Is that me? Yeah. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, <clears throat> I have a question. So, if you take someone's blood and you do, you know, you t- test it or whatever. Can you tell if that person has cancer, not necessarily a certain type of cancer, but any cancer? Can you tell that? Can you distinguish that in their blood? Well, thanks Thanks for that question. I think this is really one of the most exciting uh, developments. If you had asked me this two years ago, I would have said no. Um, but today there are technologies, and one of the ones that we are testing at Precision Genomics is to do exactly what you're talking about, uh, is that uh, so tumors of every kind, um, they spill a little bit of their DNA into someone's blood, hmm. and we can isolate the blood, and we can look for tumor DNA, because your tumor DNA, a tumor DNA is different than normal DNA, And uh, there are technologies that we're testing. We don't use them routinely yet, but we're testing to see how effective they are. And uh, yes, uh, we think that we can detect uh, cancers just by uh, doing a blood test. And if that's true, and I think it will be, uh, it will really uh, improve our ability to predict who is getting cancer at the very earliest stages, particularly for cancers that are often hidden, like pancreatic cancer and ovarian cancer, where you often don't have any symptoms until the cancer is very uh, far advanced. Too late, yeah. uh, being able to screen people's blood for markers of cancer before they get to that point will really advance how we take care of people and prevent uh, sickness and death from cancer. That's exciting. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, Doc, I've got to get a weather break. And are you, you okay to stay some stay longer? Yeah, Maybe sure. Take some calls and Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Cool. All right. Uh, we'll uh, turn his mic down and get the weather uh, thing cranked up, and we'll talk with uh, more with Dr. Jones here in just a minute. We're interactive on The Andy Griffin Show. Call in, call in at 673-5890 or text in at 435-467-5842. Let your voice be heard on The Andy Griffin Show. Welcome back. I am Andy. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm with Dr. David Jones, who uh, works with uh, my note over there, Intermountain Precision Genomics. He is the chief scientist there. Pretty cool. He left a job as a professor up north and came down here to do this. I, I was just commenting during the break, uh, David, that it's, it must be exciting to go to work knowing what you do could make a huge difference in, in the future of the world. Uh, that's that's exa- that's exactly how I feel, and you're right. It is yeah. exciting. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that 
you know, I spent uh, almost 30 years as a professor working uh, and doing research. And, mm-hmm. you know, the research that I did for many years had, a, had an impact, but a long time horizon. When we discovered the gene that caused colon cancer, it still took 15 years to yeah. use it in a way that helped people. And uh, the real attraction of what we're doing today here is that, you know, it, it, there is much more direct uh, uh, potential to take the information that we're learning and really use it to help people live healthier lives, uh, which is what our mission is. And so, you know, I packed my bags, I shut my lab down. I uh, didn't think in a million years I'd have a have a, a uh, gainfully uh, paying job in St. George, but <laughs> uh, but it was always a vacation destination for yeah, me. But sure. here I am, uh, almost uh, what I would consider a, d- a dream job, and it's a dream job because. Uh, I think we're really making a difference, and we're doing exciting things uh, to to help our uh, to help our patients. So, when when you're studying uh, the DNA, and I guess the computer analyzes a lot of it, but do all these cancers have one particular thing in common, so it makes it easier to catch them? They they do, and this is one of the things that we will refine. So, first of all, there's 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 a set of mutations that we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause cells to become cancer cells. And, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about what a mutation is because okay. a lot of times people are confused. Oh, well, we think nuclear war and yeah, three eyes Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm, I'll go back and I'll use the cookbook uh, example okay. and say that uh, every day you and I have to make one trillion new baby cells. Really? All right? Every cell of our body has a copy of our cookbook. All right? Mm-hmm. In order to produce a new cell, we have to copy the cookbook and put it into the new cell. And we do that a trillion times every day. Every day. Right. Yeah. Wow. So if you imagine that I was going to take my favorite cookbook and decide by hand to copy it for my daughter, <laughs> uh, there's a good chance I would make a mistake in yeah. that cookbook if it's a 500-page cookbook. Well, this is what happens, is that we make a trillion cells every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to copy three billion letters of our cookbook correctly, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And we make mistakes sometimes. Okay. Most of the time when we make a mistake, it doesn't matter at all. It's a mutation that we consider uh, sort of a, a silent mutation. It's there, but it doesn't matter. Okay. And mutation means we inserted the wrong letter. Instead of a K, we put in an L uh, or whatever it might be. Right. But sometimes, <laughs> and it's basically on luck, uh, it can be in a specific spot of the cookbook that really messes up the recipe. Uh-oh. And in those cases, in your cell, it can produce a cancer. So we know that there is a, a sort of a, a limited number of genes mm-hmm. where if we introduce one of these mutations into one of those genes, you now are beginning the road uh, to cancer. And mm-hmm. so uh, the gene that we discovered that causes colon cancer, it's really the first step of colon cancer. If this gene is mutated, you get a polyp. And that polyp then has now the potential to advance into a cancer. And so, um, you know, uh, so we make these mistakes, and these are mutations. Those mutations just happen randomly most of the time, and sometimes they're bad. You know, sometimes they don't matter, and sometimes they're good. There are some mutations that make us healthier. For example, people with mutations... Uh, that live in areas of malaria. If you and I went to somewhere where malaria was a problem, we'd get sick with malaria, but there are people living there have had mutations that make them resistant to malaria. And so sometimes mutations are good, and sometimes mutations mean nothing, and sometimes mutations are bad. 
and they result in disease. You actually stole my question. I said, can these mutations be good? But you just said, yeah, every once in a while they are. Yeah, you know, the example that I often give when I'm, when I'm giving lectures sometimes is I say, if you want to understand what is good mutation is that if you, if you ever are a fan of the Utah Jazz and you watch those two centers go up and the referee is standing at their belly button, yeah. um, there's some genetic variability that is in their, in their circumstance an advantage because it gave them an athletic advantage to be able to play for the Utah Jazz. And so there are lots of genetic uh, differences that are positive, most don't matter one bit, and a few where the the outcome is poor. Hmm. So, do do these mutations happen often? Uh, and I don't I don't mean necessarily the cancer one, but but the the innocuous ones and the ones that are, are good. Is this a common thing? So it is, and so you know when when I when I talk about uh, how this is done, so every time that we have to copy our DNA, so every every one of those one trillion times That's that we lot. make our, do, our <laughs> DNA every day, there is a very sophisticated system for looking at what the recipe was, mm-hmm. writing it, proofreading it, and then saying, yes, this is okay. All right. Um, that said, uh, when you're doing a trillion times, and each trillion times is three billion different letters... If you only make a few, if only a few mistakes are made, even though you're super diligent about doing it right, those can add up over the over lifetime. So the the short answer is, we don't make very many mistakes, but we do it so many times that there are mistakes, and over our lifetime, those mistakes can accumulate, and and it's just the sort of odds of how we make our DNA. Those numbers are so mind-boggling to me. Uh, you know, you talk about trillions and billions, and I, I'm thinking of Joe Biden and stimulus checks and stuff. But I, <laughs> sometimes you hear those numbers, and your mind—I do this. My mind almost checks out. Okay, we're in the trillions. I can't even picture what that number really is. But you're saying these numbers happen every single day inside of us. Yeah, and it, you know, the perfect example is um, your entire gastrointestinal tract: your mouth, mm-hmm. your esophagus, your stomach, your intestines. You know they have a very harsh environment, sure. and so we're making new we're making a new lining all the time. Really? Every day there are new cells being made, and so when you when I say there's a trillion new cells being made in your body every day, that's happening in two places: primarily your bone marrow, because mm-hmm. you're always producing new blood and blood is being replaced, and you're always relining the surface of your intestines and your stomach and your esophagus and, and your mouth. Uh, and so, yeah, those are big numbers. I can't, I say them, but I don't, I don't comprehend them either. Right. Uh, that's what computers are for. Yeah, right? that's exactly <laughs> right. It's just that, you know, I, I think of it this way. The more times you attempt something, even if you're very good at it, the more likely you will once in a while make a mistake. And mm-hmm. so a trillion events uh, is, is ample time to make a few mistakes that, that can matter. I remember, and I've been doing sports, you know, broadcasting for a long time. They had this kid uh, on, on Dixie. His name was Tennyson Triple, and uh, he was a, an amazing free-throw shooter. And during the course of one of the seasons, I think the number was, I think he shot 274 free-throws. Uh, and here's a guy who's one of the best free-throw shooters in the history of, the, of, of college basketball. He missed three that year. Yeah. Well, the percentage, you know, it's at 99 point whatever percent, but he still missed three free-throws. 
Yeah, that that that's a perfect example, and it, and uh, I'm I'm smiling and laughing a little bit because it's exactly the example that I often use to explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there are other free throw shooters who are not as good. Right. Right. And if he's synthesizing my DNA, I want him to synthesize That's my right. DNA, not some other guys that I've seen shooting free Shack. throws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Man, we're, so we're talking with, again, Dr. David Jones. Uh, he has a PhD. He is the chief scientist for Intermountain uh, Precision Genomics. Did yeah. I say all that right? Yeah, that's right. Sometimes I screw it up, but uh, I think I got all that in there. Uh, I've been here for two years and uh, looking at making the future better. What, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a phone call, and then we'll talk about some one of the things you said when you first walked in here. Let's go to the phone lines. So, hey, thanks for calling. You're with Annie with Dr. Jones. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for having Dr. Jones on. I have a question. You just making the comments that the body is reproducing new cells every day, then that means that the body has a capability of repairing itself. Is that correct? Well, yeah, absolutely it does. And and you see that uh, not only in sort of normal uh, production of tissues, like I mentioned, that line your GI tract, but certainly when you're injured, uh, we can see right before our very eyes, we can repair an injury, uh, and, and we can do that. Now, uh, part of your question that I'm anticipating is, you know, when can we repair and, and fix our bodies and when can we not? And that is one of the big unanswered puzzles of medicine. Mm. Uh, okay. So, for example, um, it would be great if someone were to have a stroke and have part of their brain function damaged or have a heart attack and have part of their heart muscle damaged if we could figure out how to get those cells to repair. Uh, and, and we can't, uh, and we just don't understand why. So, yes, we have the ability for some tissues to regenerate and repair, uh, and others cannot do that. And the, the reason why some and others cannot, we simply don't know the answer to that yet. I had another question with that. Yeah, sure. What I was going on with that. The holistic doctors are ignored, and it is true that holistic doctors can help the body just as as well as most drugs. And the thing is about a lot of drugs is they treat the symptoms, not the cause, as you'd said earlier. But there is another thing, too, by Dr. Deepak Chopra, who was ahead of the American Medical Society years ago. He's also proven that thought creates biology. Hmm. So a tear of sadness chemicals compared to a tear of happiness chemicals in the same person, those two tiers are totally opposite in chemical makeup. Good, good point. And it's fascinating because we hear all the time, doctor, people with a good attitude often heal faster than people who don't have a good attitude. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I, and I don't, uh, I don't deny or, 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 or would, would dispute that, and I think that uh, you know, there's lots about medicine that, that we don't understand, and I think holistic approaches look at it uh, from, a, from a different point of view than we're looking at it. You know, we look at the, the very detailed information that we can get, and, uh, you know, I'm, I imagine that one day we'll, we'll meet in the, in the middle. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a famous sort of cartoon that uh, I oftentimes would uh, remind my students of, and, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a cartoon of four different people studying an elephant, but one person is, is uh, studying the trunk and one studying the tail and one is studying the foot. 
and they're all describing it differently when in fact it's all attached to one big uh, animal. And I think that many times when we're talking about health care and where we see benefits and where we see differences, uh, it's in part because it's a very complicated problem and, and uh, different perspectives will all be useful in, in, in learning more and more. All right. Line two. Hey, thanks for calling today. What's on your mind? Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Dr. Jones, I have a son, uh, autistic. Uh, if you looked at him, you wouldn't think so. But um, can I get him tested through you guys? And do you have any? Uh, you have anything to offer? We we worked with Dr. Ellen Arch down there. I guess you know her. That's my question. Do you have anything to offer for autism? Yeah. So so the answer is that um, I think that the genetic tests for autism have are still uh, going to be discovered, and that we don't. Uh, have a, uh, a a sort of a, a set of uh, genes that can help us uh, understand that. But one of the studies that we're doing, which is a research study, uh, is aimed at trying to find the basis of all different diseases uh, like autism. So I am certain that uh, the physician that you're working with uh, has um, has um, uh, Made, made you sort of aware of all of the different kinds of tests or, or, or treatments that are available for autism because they're part of our same healthcare system. And uh, uh, right now, the work that we've done, has have, have, we don't have any new information about autism, but it's something that is certainly one that uh, we, we have as a priority for studying in the future. Okay. All right, thank you for calling today at 9.49. Another quick commercial break, Doc, and, and, and you'll hang around a little bit longer. Love having them on the show. I like smart guys. It's always good to have smart guys on the show. Uh, real quick, uh, let me thank Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a uh, loan consultant serving Southern Utah for two and a half decades now, and Joe's specialty is customer service. So if you're tired of those loan officers where you go in, you apply for a loan, they have you fill something out, and you don't hear from them again for a couple of months until it's time to sign, uh, and, and they don't, you know, they're, hey, you got to be in here by three o'clock and you lose a house. That's that's not the way to do things. In fact, Joe Shoney's found a better way. He keeps you apprised of exactly what's going on every single day of your loan cycle. It's Joe Shoney, loan consultant with uh, New American Funding. Give him a call today and find out what I'm talking about at 435-590-6300. Are you good at what you do? Let everyone know by becoming AG approved on KDXU. Text Andy today at 435-467-5842. Welcome back, 952 on KDXU. Andy here with uh, Dr. David Jones, PhD, Dr. Chief Scientist with uh, Intermountain Precision Genomics, right? Yeah. All right. I usually forget stuff, and that's why I write it down. And I'm the, I'm the same. I've worked there for two years, and I stumble over it just like you do. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, thank you for coming on today. Uh, let's talk about Heredigene. You guys are putting together uh, a, a really big research project. I mean, a really, really, really big research project. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a study that is really one of its kind, and 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 one of the main reasons that I uh, decided to leave my academic mm-hmm. professorship uh, in order to participate this and in this, and that is Heredigene is a research study that we're doing to um, sequence and determine the DNA sequence of up to five hundred thousand people uh, that volunteer and enroll. So. So just to be clear, folks listening out there, we're talking to you. You can do it. 
Yes, the study's open to, to, to people that want to enroll. It's completely voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a goal of 500,000. We have so far uh, gotten um, volunteers of about 70,000. Um, the study will, uh, will allow us to determine what we consider population-level genetics, meaning we'll understand the, the genetics of all of these people, how they're the same, how they're different, and this will be very powerful for finding, for example, new genes that might be genes that predict autism, like mm-hmm. we heard from the last yeah. caller, or genes that predict any other diseases that we're talking about. Um, and it, and so it's a research study. People enroll because it's a research study. There isn't necessarily uh, any guarantee that you would get information back. But what will happen for sure is that we'll use this uh, in, information uh, to study uh, and find new genes and new causes of disease that our kids and our grandchildren uh, will all benefit from in healthcare. And what we're going to do with this information eventually is move away from the idea that we wait for people to get sick and then come to the doctor and treat them and instead know in advance here are the risks that this person has in their lifetime and potentially intervene to keep those diseases at bay uh, to begin with. And so um, it's it uh, precision genomics is located right here in in St. George, and and that's what drew me uh, is the power of this uh, uh, approach. And but we're enrolling throughout all uh, our entire uh, hospital facility and our hospital system throughout Utah uh, and Idaho. And uh, anybody that would would like to enroll can get the materials to read about it find out what they're agreeing to, and then if they, if they choose, they can help us out by, uh, by enrolling. And the more people we get, the more we'll learn. It's not voodoo or magic, and it's actually really simple. I know in this day and age of what's in it for me, people are like, why would I do that? What's, what's, what's in it for me? But really, as you said, doctor, we're talking about learning things so that the next generation or two generations from now or three or whatever will be able to say, okay, we know this person has a, a high risk factor of, of getting colon cancer. And then we can, we can kind of prevent that, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's exactly right. We, w- we would like to know so we can, can keep it from happening. And there's one example of, of a patient that I know of that, mm-hmm. that fits this, and that uh, it's a patient that I, that I learned about who was a, a, a male in his 50s, and he, and, uh, he came in with colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, it turns out that he had the very gene mutated that I was part of discovering nearly 25 years ago. Wow. But it had never been recognized in his healthcare system, uh, in his healthcare. And it was partly because um, he, he was not raised by his biological parents. And so when he uh, went in for his healthcare, there was no family history of colon cancer to describe. Right. Um, if he had come in and had his DNA sequence, we would have seen early on that he was predisposed to getting this colon cancer, and it would have prevented him from getting it. Wow. Um, the big benefit is for him is that now he's, he has children and grandchildren, and now we can make sure that we uh, offer them that kind of testing and prevent his children and grandchildren from the same uh, process uh, or the same uh, fate that he had. And so uh, this kind of uh, study will help us do that more and more often. It's, it's, it's really cool because 
the thing about it, I think a lot of people are scared of is, okay, you're, you're going to alter your genes. You, you're, you guys aren't altering genes. And the second part is, well, we, if we discover this, then I'm guaranteed I'm going to die of heart disease or I'm going to die of colon cancer or whatever it is. And it's not a guarantee, but it's, it's a kind of a heads up. Like this is a possibility. Just watch out for this. Keep an eye on it. Get, get a colonoscopy or get a, a, a uh, breast exam. What, what do they call those again? The, Mammogram. 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 That's yeah, the word. Sure. I, it wouldn't come out of my head sure. just now. So. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Is that uh, the good news is genetic predispositions for most disease are not guaranteed, and there are things that we can do to change our lifestyle and to, to, to seek help from medical uh, care to to reduce the fact, reduce the risk of getting it or lessen uh, lessen it if, if we do get it. But yeah. Tell, tell us about the website and how we can sign up and, and be a part of the Heretogene study. So heretogene.org is a site that people can go to, and from okay. there um, you can read about it, and you can fill out what is called a con- informed consent. Um, that explains to you all, all the different aspects of the study and what you're agreeing to if you were to choose to enroll. Um, and then if you do uh, choose to enroll, uh, then we then then we ask people to come and, and we send them to a place where they can have a, a blood draw done, uh, and we take that blood and, and we use it in our in our study. But heredigene.org is the, the place where you can find out all about it. Heredigene.org. What about kids? Should I take my kids over? Will that be helpful? So we have a collaborative study that we're doing with uh, Primary Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. um, and, and and enrolling up to fifty thousand uh, children. Uh, as well, and so yes, I think that uh, we we want to get all different cross sections of our population, age, etc. Uh, and so we do have a study that that uh, will specifically focus on children. Perfect. Heredigene.org. He's Dr. David Jones. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's been fantastic. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Tomorrow on the program, well, it's a surprise. Tomorrow we'll have, and we also have a mayor coming up later this week. Dr. Blodgett's going to join me on Wednesday, so we've got a full week planned for you. Thanks for listening today.